God, we just want to thank you for who you are. Uh, God, it just keeps, it keeps resonating in my heart and mind this morning that you are holy and that you are worthy, that this is who you are. And God, we just want to worship you today. We want to hear from you. And so we thank you for this opportunity that we have as your people to gather, to hear from you directly from your word. And so God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. And so we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in week number three of this series called Gentle and Lowly. It's based off of a book by the same name. Uh, we do have free books uh, out at our guest services. So if you want to grab one, grab one. We're giving away all kinds of free stuff today, t-shirts, books. I'm all about free stuff. Uh, grab a book if you want one. Uh, we do have groups that are going through this content week by week. If you want to jump in, we have a Sunday night group that meets here in our conference room down on the side at 6.30 p.m. Uh, we have one on Wednesday night for adults as well at 6.30 p.m. Uh, we also have a ladies group that meets during the day, Wednesday mornings at 9.30 a.m. So if you're interested, uh, all those groups meet here in our conference room, which is just down on this side of our building. Uh, feel free to join in, all right? Grab a book, read along with us. But we're in this series in which we are looking closer and thinking deeper about the heart of Christ for us as sinners and sufferers. And you know, some, might, some people might say about God, man, I don't believe in your God because he seems so harsh and, and demanding and judgmental and distant and, and unapproachable. And my response to that person would be, well, good, I don't believe in that God either. And that's not the God of the Bible. The, the God that the scriptures speak of, the one true God, is one who describes himself in Jesus' words, Matthew eleven twenty nine. he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. What he means by that is, is to be gentle. He's, his, his most natural posture towards us isn't like a pointed finger, but it's open arms. He is gentle and he is lowly, so he's... He's humble, he's accessible, he is approachable. And so each week what we're doing is we're just considering different scriptures that build upon this case and reveal to us his gentle and lowly heart for us. And, and hopefully in the process, it's transforming the way that we think by renewing our minds based on the word of God. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to look at John chapter 6. I'd invite you to, to turn there. It'll be on the screen as well as in your uh, digital bulletin and sermon notes. John chapter 6, let me give you a little bit of context to what's going on here. God has come to man in the flesh in the person of Jesus. He has lived on this earth for 30-some years and has, has, uh, has begun his earthly ministry. And even in this chapter, John chapter 6, which happens to be the longest chapter in the New Testament, clocks in at 71 verses, uh, you, we've even seen a couple miracles by Jesus in this chapter. So he, he performed this incredible public uh, miracle of feeding 5,000 with you know, five fish and a couple loaves of bread. And then he has this private um, miracle where he walks on the water to his disciples. And so he's doing these mind-blowing things. And then he comes down here to verse number 35, and he makes this declaration. He, he describes himself as the bread of life. In other words, he says, I'm the only one who can truly satisfy you and fill the longing that you have. I can fill your hungry soul and quench your thirsty soul. And so in John chapter 6, starting in, verses, uh, in verse 35, working down to verse 40, Jesus says this. 
Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, or not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so a few things that I want to look at this morning as we consider the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. We're going to look at the Father's will, the Father's work, and the Son's word. Okay, the Father's will, the Father's work, and the Son's word. So let's talk about the Father's will. How many of you ever used the phrase or heard the phrase, like, the will of God? Like, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. Right? What that means is you think of somebody who has written down a will so that after they die that we know what their desires and their wishes are. Same thing, God, the will of God, the Father's will, is, is all about God's ultimate desire his ultimate wishes for us, what he wants for us. Now, I, I know when I was younger, I was questioning, God, what's your will for my life? It was like, okay, who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to move? What do you want me to do with my life? And those are all important. Those are part of God's specific plan for your life. But when it comes to the will of God, what is the Father's will for me? What is the Father's will for you? And the scriptures say multiple things about what that looks like, but ultimately, Jesus says it, plainly here in John chapter 6. Look at verse number 39 and 40. He says this, this is the will, this is the desire of him who sent me, speaking of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What is it? What's he talking about? Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father. Here it is, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So you want to know what, what God's will is, what the Father's will is for your life? It is that you would look on the Son, Jesus, that you would believe, and that in believing you would have life. This is his desire. Not just one time in your life, but every single day that we would look on the Son, we would look on Christ, we would believe, we would have a heart full of belief, and that in looking at him and looking on him and believing we would experience life, the life that he has intended for us. This is his will. Now, he makes no bones about it. This is no surprise because all throughout this, this book of John, he explains that this is why he came. In fact, one of the most well-known verses in all of scripture is John 3.16. Right? Some of y'all may have seen it on a, on, a, you know, on a poster at a football game. Maybe even at a game where Alabama lost, like last night. Amen? Anybody excited about that? I had to throw that in there. Woo. I was up late because of that. Glory, glory, hallelujah. So today is a good day. It's great when my team wins, but it's almost just as good when Alabama loses. Amen? So John 3.16, we hear that a lot, but John 3.16 and verse 17, here's what Jesus said. For God so loved the world, that means every single one of us in the world, that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, that we skip a lot. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It says that he, God didn't send Jesus to condemn us because the truth is our sin already has condemned us. We already face condemnation because of our sin. No, God sent Jesus to save us from our sin so that if we would look to him and believe, we would have life. This is why he came. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they, that you, may have life and have it abundantly. The reason I came was so that you could experience life, the life that I created you to have. And then John 20, we, we come to the end of this, this gospel, the gospel of John. And John has recorded a lot of cool things, but he's left a lot of things out. But he says, the things that I've recorded here are for a purpose. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the things that I put down here, they're written so that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing, you may have what? Life in his name. There's a lot of things that Jesus did. I wrote all of this so that you would believe that he is the son of God. Because when you believe, when your heart is full of faith, man, you get to experience the life that I've created you for. This is the father's will. Every day of your life that you would look on the son, that you would believe again. This isn't a one-time thing. This is an everyday thing that you would believe and that you would experience life. That's the Father's will. Now, let's talk about the Father's work. The Father's work. In order to accomplish his will, God, God had to do some things. God has to be doing some work behind the scenes, all right? And so look back with me, if you will, at John chapter 6. Look back at what it says in verse number 38. It says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So, so what we see, and we see this all throughout the book of John, is that God the Father sent Jesus. We saw in John 3, 16, that he so loved the world that he gave, he sent his son, he gave his son so that we could have life. And so the first thing that God did was he sent his son, but then he didn't just stop there. The scriptures say that he, he draws people to himself. All right, so if we're going to have life, we've got to look at the son, we've got to believe and he sent his son so that we could look on him and believe. But then he, he does this work whereby he, he draws us to himself. Now, I want to talk about this. This is a, a, a doctrine or a teaching in scripture that has been called irresistible grace. And man, I love that term. Sometimes it's called effectual grace. But here, here's what irresistible grace is, this teaching, this doctrine. Here's what it is. It, it is the, the supernatural work of God to draw people, to draw sinners to himself. It's the supernatural work that God does to draw us to himself. In other words, God's grace is so powerful that it is able to overcome any and every kind of resistance that we would have to it. Now, this doesn't mean that, 
that God like drags us kicking and screaming like against our will. If you've ever done that with your child, like, drag, like that's not how God operates. That he's like, no, you're not going to resist me. You're, you're coming with, like, it's not that. But, but here's what irresistible grace is. It's that his grace is so powerful and so good that it actually changes our will and it actually changes our heart and actually changes what we want so that we want to approach him, so that we want to embrace him, that he opens us up to the, the, the goodness and the kindness that leads us to repentance. This is what irresistible grace is. And, and I love this phrase, and I, I want you to see um, verse number 37. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And, and then down in verse 44, which we didn't look at earlier, but if you look at verse 44, he says this, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So here's the Father's will, that we would look on Christ and believe. But nobody is going to come to Jesus. Nobody's going to look on him unless the Father draws him. So let me, let me give you an example. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been drawn to someone? Like, they're, like a friend or a coworker, maybe a teacher, coach. If you're married, I would hope that you would say your spouse, right? You're drawn, like there's something about, it doesn't have to be romantically, but there's something about this person, their personality, or, man, I just wanna, I wanna be around this person. And it's kind of like, you know, like this magnetic thing that, that like, I'm just drawn to this person. And, and this is what, what Jesus is saying, that nobody comes to God, nobody comes to Jesus unless God does this supernatural work to draw them, to draw them. Like, have you ever, maybe this is your story, maybe this is a story of somebody that you know or somebody you love, that, man, you so want them to come to God. You so want them to surrender their life to God. You, you want them to experience what they're missing and and yet there's something in them that is so resistant, that is so stiff-necked, that stiff arms God and says, I don't, want, I don't want that. I don't want that right now. And maybe this was your story, but something changed. Here's the reality is that every single person, if they're going to come to faith in Jesus, it's going to be because God draws them. And so sometimes when I've come out of a conversation or when I've come out of a Sunday morning, sometimes I'm kicking myself because I'm like, oh, I wish I had said this or I wish I hadn't said this probably more often that way. Um, I wish I had, I had said it this way. Man, I missed an opportunity. I blew it. And maybe you come out of a conversation with somebody like, oh, if I could have been more clear or eloquent, maybe they would have turned their heart to God and, and we kick ourselves. But here's the reality. Don't miss this. I could come to you on a Sunday morning with the best possible sermon that is super engaging and entertaining and funny and whatever, and it could be technically sound and yet, if God hasn't drawn you to himself, you're just going to say whatever. And you can talk to somebody till you're blue in the face about how good God is and what he's done in your life. But listen, if God doesn't do something supernatural in their heart, 
say what you want, it's only going to happen when God wants it to happen and when he draws somebody to himself. So to be drawn to God is a supernatural work of grace. It's his grace at work in somebody. Now, this doesn't minimize or eliminate our responsibility to take the good news, to take the gospel, to live lives that shine brightly and to speak words of grace, to tell people about Jesus. It doesn't minimize that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not dependent on you and your words or me and my words. It's dependent on the Spirit of God reaching in and grabbing hold of somebody's heart. It's irresistible grace. And I want to read you a couple just quick verses here that kind of show this. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 to 6, it says, In their case, the God of this world, speaking of the enemy, Satan, he has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So before you ever come to faith in Jesus or the people that you're praying for, before they come to Jesus, there is a spiritual war taking place where the enemy is trying to blind minds so that we don't see the light of the gospel. And yet, look at what happens in verse number five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, who with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say, let there be light? Genesis 1, in the beginning, in creation, right? When everything was dark and he spoke into the darkness and his light dispelled all of the darkness. And that same God who spoke into the darkness, it says, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so the same God who spoke into the darkness and brought light is the same God who has to shine his light into the darkness of our minds and of our soul and turn on the light bulb, as it were. He is the one who illuminates our hearts and our minds so that we can get a grasp and get a grip on how good and how holy and worthy he is. And it doesn't happen apart from his irresistible grace working. Let me take you to one more passage, Acts 16, verse 14. Paul and Timothy here, they are in Philippi, and they're there on the Sabbath day, and they're speaking to this group of women, and they're talking in particular about this lady named Lydia. Maybe you've heard of her. Acts 16, verse 14, it says this. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Don't miss this, ver- this phrase. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so what you see here, it doesn't talk about the eloquence of Paul, even though he was eloquent and he was deep and he was impressive, but it wasn't about him and his ability. It was about the Lord opening her heart so that she would pay attention. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should do this more, say this more, tell a story more, like to get people's attention. And, and I, like, I, I always want to be better. But here's the reality. It's not about how good I am and how eloquent I am and how powerful my preaching may be. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the Lord opening a heart to pay attention. 
And so every time that you sense like the spirit of God speaking to you or doing something to you or your ears perk open or your heart opens wider, it's purely because of the irresistible grace of God that speaks and draws you to him. This is the Father's work. So his will, the Father's will, is for us to look on Christ, to believe, to have life. The, the Father's work to make that even possible. He sends his son, he sent his son for us to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be our forgiver, to free us from our sin. And, and then he draws us to his sin. Now, I wanna talk about this third thing, the son's word. The Father's will, the Father's work, the Son's word. And this is, this is what Jesus said. This is the promise that he gave. Look back at verse number 37. And we're just going to spend our last few minutes here. Verse 37, he says this. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, over these first couple weeks of, of the series, we've seen these, these kind of invitations from Jesus. And we see it all throughout the New Testament where, where Jesus invites us to come. And here he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So I want to think about it for a second. What does it mean to come to Christ? What does it mean to come to Christ? Now, like I have a simple brain and, I, and I'm thinking about my dog. Okay, so in nine days from now will be a year since we, we um, brought home uh, our little Boston Terrier, Roman, okay? So it's been about a year. And I remember when, and we hadn't had a dog before. And so we're like, okay, we've got to train this puppy. Okay, we've got to train this, this little guy right. And so I remember some of the first things. It was like um, sit and stay and down. Somewhere along the way, I taught him like bang, and he falls over dead. So I, like, I love all those fun things. One of the most important things I taught him was come, Right, and so I don't know if you ever, if y'all have ever done this before. Just it just happens naturally. But I was like determined, like I'm going through like training with this dog, and so the way I did it was I ta taught him to stay. So he would stay. I'd walk across the room, and I have like, you know, a whole bunch of treats, and I would say, Roman, come. I hold out the treat, and man, bang, he's right there. Treats, treats, treats. You know, filling him up. Then I'd say, stay, and I'd walk across the room, and Roman come, and then bam, he's like right there. And so like a year later, here we are, and it's like he's, it's money. Like just say come, more specifically, Roman come, and he's right there. He like, he knows that command, and I love it. I love it. So, so when I think about what does it mean to come, to come to Christ, like, like just think of it. Okay, Roman can be doing whatever he wants, and then he hears Roman come, and what does he do? Hopefully, most of the time, he stops, and he turns towards me, and he approaches me. He comes to me. Sometimes he runs. Sometimes he's like, mm, what you going to do? <laughs> you know, sometimes he's casual, but man, he, he, he turns and approaches me. So when we talk about coming to Christ, like what does that mean? Does that mean that like since he's in heaven, like I've got to find some way to like, or he's going to come in the east, like the sun rises in the east. So I turn towards the east and start walking that direction. Like what does it mean to come to Christ? It's not necessarily a physical thing. It's a, it's a posture of our heart that we would turn our hearts toward him and that we would believe, that we'd approach him believing. And so when he makes this invitation, whoever comes to me, that just simply means to turn our hearts toward him in, in belief. And as I've thought through this, as I've thought through this in my own life, like why would we, why would we not come to Christ? He, he makes this invitation to come to him. Why would we not? 
And speaking for myself, when I think about situations in my life where I am slow to approach him or I'm slow to go to him, where I don't always come to him, like there's a few things I think for me. One, sometimes I just don't think I, I really need him. It's like I'm good. I, like when I need something or I'm in, I'm, I'm in despair, like I'll go to him. But those times where I think everything's good, I'm fine, like I don't really need him, so I don't come to him. And, and then there's times where, if I'm being honest, I, I don't always see my sin as being sinful. Does that make sense? It's like I don't, I, I think, oh, that's not so bad, or that's not a big deal, or that, I had that thought, or I said this, or, and I don't always see it as sinful. Like I need God's forgiveness. And so sometimes I just don't, I don't see the need because I don't see my sin as sinful. But then I think the thing that for, for the majority of the time that makes me slow to come to him, again, if I'm just being really honest, it's because I've sinned in some way and I just can't believe like that he'll receive me, like that he wants me to come close. Like my natural inclination, and I've said this, I think, before, but it's like that he would be like, oh, man, clean yourself up. Get your stuff together and then come. Because you remember I'm holy, right? And so get it together, do better, be better, and then you can come into my presence. So sometimes it's, it's because I don't believe he'd actually want me or I'm fearful that, man, he just wants to crush me. But what Jesus says here is such a significant statement. He says, whoever comes to me, whoever, anyone, at any time, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never stiff arm you. I will never reject you. I will always receive you. I will always in the Greek, even, the, the way the Greek is translated, it's like two negatives. And you know, in English, we're not supposed to use double negatives, right? But it's like two negatives stacked on top of each other to, to emphasize or to show force. And in other words, what he's saying is, I will most certainly never, ever forsake you or cast you out. Never. I don't care who you are or what you've done. I will never. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so as a child of, of God, the, I, I need to and you need to realize that God hates sin, but he loves you. God is against your sin, but he's not against you. In, in fact, the more that when I'm in a position where I feel like there's no way he could receive me, I mean, I'm dirty, I'm sinful. There's, when I feel like I'm the most unworthy is when he presses in more and when he comes closer. And I can only think of this like a child coming to its parent, a child that's been hurt and a parent, you know, sometimes I'm like, hey, shake it off, you're good, you're fine. But most of the time you draw near because why? My child needs me. My child is hurt. My child needs help. And when God looks at us in our sin and our mess, he doesn't turn away like, oh, I can't even look at that. 
No, he looks at us. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Christ, if you are son or daughter, he looks at you as a child. And he knows that your sin hurts you and it damages you. And he doesn't pull away. He draws close because he knows you and I need him. This is who he is. This is his heart for us. And I want to read a couple quotes from you from the book. Dane Ortland, he said this, for those who do not belong to him, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, sins evoke holy wrath. How could a morally serious God respond otherwise? But to those who do belong to him, sins evoke holy longing, holy love, holy tenderness. It is so hard for me to grasp that in my sin against God and all of his holiness and all of my sinfulness, that he would look at me with tenderness. But this is what it means when we say that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Dane Orland says in another place here, he says, when we feel as if our thoughts and our words and our deeds are diminishing God's grace toward us, those sins and failures are in fact causing it to surge forward all the more. When we feel like our thoughts and words and deeds are like, man, God has got to be running out of grace for me. But no, in those moments are the moments when, no, his irresistible grace surges toward us all the more. This is, this is his heart for us. So, we know the Father's will. It's that we would look on Christ, that we would believe in that, that in believing we would have life. That's his will. The Father's work is he has sent his son and, and then he draws us to himself. And then we've seen the, the son, Jesus. We've seen his word. His word is, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So the question is, how do we apply this? How do we live out this truth? And it's really simple. When God draws you, come to him. When you sense God doing something in your heart, come to him. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of something, man, you, you can sit in your seat, you can stay where you are physically, but come to him, turn to him from your heart. Don't wait, don't put it off. You know, sometimes I think in, in a relationship where I think somebody's mad at me, I like, I'll wait and I'll be like, okay, I hope they forget about it. I hope they'll get over it. And then I'll approach them later and hopefully like the dust has cleared. You know what I'm saying? And so I'll wait. And this is not the way we're to approach God. He says, come to me. Don't wait. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast you out. So when God draws you, come to him. When his spirit convicts you, turn toward him. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Let me use a, an illustration that I just think about a lot. I don't know if you've ever heard the term um, PR, like setting a, a new PR or personal record or a personal best. Like a lot of times it's, it's used with like athletic or sports disciplines like running, swimming, maybe weightlifting. Uh, so when you set a new PR, you, it means like, okay, I ran that mile in a faster time. And so it shows growth, right? It shows like, I'm better, I'm faster, I'm stronger than I was before. And so I've set a new PR. And I think 
like spiritual growth, I firmly believe that it's, it's very similar. That the more we grow spiritually, like the more PRs we set in terms of like the faster we get in recognizing our own sin and then running to God. So like the more that I grow, like there was a time when if, if I had a thought that was not a holy thought, like I may not be convicted about it until like hours later, days later, I may not feel bad about it or if I felt bad at all. But I feel like the more that I grow, the more it's like I think something and it's like, oh my goodness, Lord, I'm sorry. Like I recognize that that sin, that was a sin towards you. And, that, and so I run to him. And I feel like the more that we grow spiritually, the more, the more we set these like new personal records of like running to God because we understand that his heart for us is gentle and lowly. And that is what this whole series is about is so that we would dig deeper into his heart and that we would understand more and more how much he loves us and how approachable and accessible he is so that the more that we get it, the quicker we will run to him and not be over, overwhelmed or overcome by stuff like, like shame. Like, man, I just can't... I, God's got to be disgusted with me. How could he ever accept me in his, his presence? And we feel shame, and so we don't run to him. Or sometimes, again, fear. Like, I'm afraid of what God's going to do to me if I, if I run to him. And the more we understand his heart for us, that, that his word, that his promise toward us is this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast you out. I will never reject you the quicker we'll run to him and be able to experience that life that he has for us. This reminds me of, of one verse, last verse I want to share. Isaiah 1, verse 18, probably the most beautiful invitation in all of Scripture. And again, it involves that word come. God says this, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This invitation from God that says, hey, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how messy your sins are. I don't care how scarlet or crimson the color of your sin. I will make you white as snow. So come to me. Come, sit at the table. Let's reason together. Let me talk some sense into you. Let me show you my irresistible grace. And, and I want to end with, with a quote by John Bunyan. This came out of the book, Gentle and Lowly. John Bunyan was an old Puritan, and he, he was referencing this King James translation of the scriptures, this, this verse that says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. In the King James, it says, him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And, and so what John Bunyan is saying in, this, in this, this story here, this passage, is that there's no objection that you could make about how unworthy you are, or how unworthy you feel that, that Jesus' promise can't put to rest. And so he says this, but I'm a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. 
but I'm a hard-nosed sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. This promise was provided to answer all objections, and it does answer them. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so here is the promise that you and I can hold to. It's no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, when God draws you, man, you can come. You can come to him and he will never, ever hold you at arm's length. He will never cast you out. He will always embrace you. Aren't you grateful for that irresistible grace? Amen. And so God, today, thank you so much for your will for us, that your desire to be that we would experience life, life to the full that happens as we look to Christ, as we believe in Christ, as we walk by faith in Christ. And you have done the work to make that possible. Thank you for sending your son and thank you for, for continually drawing us to yourself. For those that, that know you as a son or daughter, put your, their faith in you, it's because you at some point drew them to yourself. By your grace, you did a supernatural work of grace to open their mind and their hearts to the light of the gospel. And yet, God, every single day that you speak to us and we hear and we're convicted and, and, and we sense your presence, it is a supernatural work of grace. And when we gather together and we look at your word and you draw near in our hearts and you draw our gaze to your son, our affections are stirred towards Christ and we believe and we believe and we believe and we experience life. It is a supernatural work of grace. And so God, thank you for that grace that we never could earn, we could never deserve, and yet you freely give through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray for every single person in here this morning. Maybe there's someone in the room or watching or listening that has never come to you, I pray that they would hear the invitation to come now to the table, realizing that you are there. God, to the one who is in this room that is listening that may sense you just calling them to yourself, God, I pray that they would respond with faith and obedience and would just come knowing that in your hands are all kinds of treats, life abundant and overflowing.
And so God, thank you for this promise that we focus on this morning, that whoever would come to you, you would never cast out. Thank you for this grace that chases after us, that pursues us, that never lets up, that never lets go. God, we worship you today because of that love and that grace. And all of God's people said, amen. Why don't you stand and worship with us?